Hello, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Code Life podcast. The Code Life podcast provides a forum for discussions on healthcare issues and challenges with specialists from diverse backgrounds. I'm Sylvie Riendo, and I will be your host for this very interesting episode. Today, I have the privilege of interviewing Dr. David S. Mulder. Born in Eston, Saskatchewan, Canada, Dr. Mulder is renowned for many things. One is for his association with the Canadian Montréal Organization since 1963 as chief surgeon. Formerly chief surgeon at the Montreal General Hospital, chairman of the Department of Surgery and senior director of thoracic surgery at McGill University, he is a pioneer in traumatology. In fact, he is one of the reasons the Montreal General Hospital is ranked among the top trauma centers in Quebec. Having been fully committed to this field for many years, he has been broadly recognized for his role in developing a province-wide trauma system in Quebec. The Montreal General Hospital even named its trauma center after him. Hello, Dr. Mulder. Thank you for being with us today. Good to be here. The public mostly knows you as the Surgeon-in-Chief for the Montreal Canadien, a position that you filled for almost 50 years now. How did your work with the Montreal Canadien start? Well, it started when I began my career in surgery at the Montreal General Hospital in July of uh, 1963. And in September of 63, Dr. Kinnear had just taken over as medical director of the Montreal Canadiens and also the care of the Montreal Junior Canadiens. And he needed some help to cover the games at the uh, old forum looking after the Montreal Junior Canadiens. So he asked me to organize a team of surgical residents who could attend every game. They were Sunday afternoon, as you uh, remember, and they were very exciting, uh, very exciting for me because uh, I loved hockey and uh, I, this was an incredible experience. So that's how we got started. Because you were yourself a hockey player. Yes, I day. played hockey, all <laughs> amateur hockey all of my life, and I played hockey at university. I, I loved hockey, and uh, as I probably explained, uh, when you're in Saskatchewan, you cheered either for the Toronto Maple Leafs or the Montreal Canadiens, and for some reason I had uh, been aligned with the Montreal Canadiens, and uh, my hero in hockey was uh, Jean Beliveau, and you can imagine my uh, delight. Uh, one of the first games I covered at the old forum, Jean Beliveau was attendant, in attendance at a junior Canadiens game, And he actually sat beside me, and, you know, I almost fainted. It was uh, <laughs> such an experience. Yeah, having your hero uh, right. beside you kind right. of has <laughs> that effect. And, of so course, much. it established a long-term friendship. And, you know, you've been with so with the Montreal Canadiens for many years, uh, you know, assisting to almost every match. Right. Um, so is there a specific moment you recall being especially concerned for the health and well-being of one of the players? Oh no, no question! <clears throat> uh, the night I was the most frightened in my whole life was the night was the afternoon that uh, Trent McCleary got hit uh, in the larynx or the voice box with the puck. It was a slap shot and it fractured the larynx and uh, basically blocked his airway. And so we had to institute measures to try and reduce the fracture and get his airway open uh, before we got him to the hospital. And my worry that he was going to die on the ice or in our hands on the way to the hospital. We were able to use a maneuver called a jaw thrust, which opened the airway and allowed us to get him to the hospital. So we had to get him to the hospital as quickly as we could, and we were very fortunate. It was a Sunday afternoon, and so the ambulance was able to get to the hospital very quickly. Time from injury to the operating room was 17 or 18 minutes. 
and this clearly saved his life. We didn't stop in the emergency room. We didn't uh, stop for anything. We phoned ahead, and we had the anesthesiologist meet us in the corridor at the eighth-floor elevator, uh, which secured his airway, and then we could do a tracheostomy. But uh, we moved him right from the uh, elevator to the operating room table, and it was the only time I've ever operated on anybody with their skates on. <laughs> and we had, didn't have time to even get his uh, equipment off. Uh, but it clearly was a, reinforces the variable of time from injury to definitive care. Absolutely. Being life-saving in this situation. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. This is clearly the most, uh, most frightening episode that I've had. And it changed the way we manage injuries in the whole NHL. Now mm -hmm. the uh, trauma doctors have to be behind the bench, 25 feet away from the medical clinic. So it changed the, it altered practice throughout the whole NHL. For sure, talking about that, you know, how would you compare sports medicine from when you first started until now? Well, it's changed drastically. Uh, when I first started with the Junior Canadians, you have to remember nobody wore a helmet, mm -hmm. nobody wore a face mask, and there were the rules and regulations were, were not so clear as they are now. But we had uh, many concussions. We had lost two or three eyes from a puck injury. Uh, we had uh, many lacerations. Every game we sutured up uh, several players. Now th those things have all changed. We, there hasn't been an eye injury in hockey, in, in amateur hockey, because everybody wears a full face mask. So it's changed drastically. And in fact, uh, sports medicine has become a science of its own. We've established a department at McGill University. And so things have changed for the better in a, in a drastic way. So how did you develop your interest uh, in, for traumatology? Well, uh, when I came to Montreal, uh, the first person I met was Dr. Rock Robertson, okay. who was chair of surgery here. He later went on to become principal at McGill. And he was in charge of the surgical training program. And he insisted that each surgical resident have an area that they would uh, call their special area of interest. And he suggested to me that I should become interested in trauma because he felt it was uh, poorly managed in Canada and in Quebec. And he, said, he suggested we had to use some of the lessons that he learned during the war. He was a veteran of the Second World War. And he said in the wartime, they learned that the most important factor in trauma was the time from injury to definitive treatment. And he said they learned in the war that if you, if you stopped at a hospital that wasn't able to treat the patient, while well, everybody thought it was good, it actually delayed the, the, uh, the final treatment. So he suggests that I look at that in Quebec and see how we measured up to the rest of the uh, world. And uh, so we, we began gathering data. And uh, then when I went away to train in Iowa, we were situated at the University of Iowa, was situated on, the, uh, on a highway. And we were, we, had a, we were inundated with major trauma from an interstate. Uh, mm -hmm. And so that uh, solidified my interest in trauma. And the interesting thing was the interest, the trauma to the airway, which is what Trent McCleary, McCleary suffered from. So you can see how the two, uh, the hockey injuries and the trauma profile uh, are very closely related. So then um, when I came back on staff here, 
My mentor then was Dr. Fraser Gerd, and he, his sole interest in life was trauma, and uh, he encouraged me to take a leadership role. We didn't have an organized trauma service here, so we set that up and organized an ICU, and then we began to study our results in Quebec, and uh, we found that uh, when we compared ourselves to the equivalent centers in the United States, if we had a very serious injury, we measured them on an injury severity scale. And if we had the equivalent injury here compared to a big center in the United States, our mortality was 50% and theirs was 10%. Wow. So we we presented this uh, information and Dr. Gerd said, well, I don't want you to present it anywhere because I'm embarrassed how, how badly we're doing. So we have to take a back route and see if we can change this. So we recruited a surgeon from the United States, Don Trunke, and he came with me to meet the then Minister of Health, Mark Ivan Cote. Mm -hmm. We met in Quebec City in a bar, and we mapped out a plan of regionalizing trauma care. Uh, it's nothing new. It was similar to uh, what was already in the United States where you have a level one, two, and three trauma centers, and the most seriously injured come right away to the level one trauma center rather than going to the nearest hospital, which everybody thought was the best idea then. And mm -hmm. uh, so then we, and he, he bought the idea and implemented it in 19, uh, in the early 90s, 93. Mm -hmm. And uh, then when we did, did our study several years later, we found that the mortality rate had gone from 50% down to 13 or 14%, and now it's continued to come down. And mm -hmm. it's a program that's been accepted all over the world. And the, uh, the results that uh, we presented our paper at the American Society for the Surgery of Trauma, and they were amazed that the, it really pro proved the concept of the value of regionalizing trauma care and the level one trauma centers. Mm -hmm. So how did you, uh, you know, went into this reform? You had to convince a lot of people or, you know, the health ministry was already convinced. So no, you we found had it to, difficult? Uh, we, it? And, but I think the, the important thing that I learned from Dr. Gerd is it's hard to convince people until, unless you have data. Mm -hmm. So the study we did, which was embarrassing to us in terms of our results, proved to be the most important thing in terms of changing people's mind and convincing others, including the Minister of Health and our own hospital, and mm -hmm. maybe the maybe our own profession, because I was very unpopular at the time, because taking trauma away from other hospitals, other centers, people were very angry with me, <laughs> and yet it was the right thing to do. What has changed, and what are we doing differently now that this, the system is in place? Well, I guess the single most important thing is we've regionalized trauma care and we've organized pre-hospital care, So, and we have set criteria about which patients need to go to a level one trauma center right away. And these are all well known now by our pre-hospital uh, crews. And that's, that uh, has, has reduced the time. Remember Dr. Robertson's point that time is the most important variable. So that has reduced the time from injury to definitive care. And to me, that's the most important uh, factor. Yeah, because, for example, right now, someone who has, let's say, a car accident in Saint-Jean-sur-le-Richelieu, for example, um, 
and is has serious injuries, you know, that would require trauma. So what will happen is that person will be taken right away to the Montreal General Hospital. Right away General to hospital. a level one trauma center. Exactly. Instead Rather, of going to the local right. hospital, which may not have the, the team or the And we've learned from the United States and from other Canadian provinces that if somebody with that magnitude of injury goes to a smaller center and it has some delay there, and then to a level one, that the mortality rate is 25% higher. Mm -hmm. So that has been an, played an enormous role. And it, uh, the thing that we haven't done well, I think, is prove to the government that this is a f financially a very good investment, that it reduces ultimate costs to society. Now there are three level one trauma centers in Quebec. Yes. We have the Montreal General Hospital, uh, Sacré-Cœur. Sacré so we have two on the island of Montreal. Mm -hmm. And, and one is one in Quebec. Laval in Quebec City. Uh, Laval University, yeah. but yeah. in Quebec City. All right. And recently, the Quebec Health Minister launched a pilot project for a helicopter ambulance service. It's, I believe, with Sacré-Cœur Hospital. And you've been quite involved uh, in persuading the Quebec government for, the, you know, of the necessity to have a helicopter service. Can you explain why? Well, I'm very, very proud of the Minister of Health that he's uh, taken, taken on this as a pilot project and starting it right away at Sacré-Cœur because they have a heliport. So it will test the value of the system, and we can start immediately. We, we don't have a heliport at the Montreal General Hospital, so, but the minister has promised that once we establish that, that he'll will uh, be included. Why, why is that important? Well, uh, yesterday I, uh, I was out at Brassard at the Canadians' training facility, and I drove back across the Champlain Bridge behind an ambulance, took us 45 minutes to get across the Champlain Bridge. Mm -hmm. That's why we need a helicopter. For sure. We need a helicopter to uh, reduce the time, the variable of time from injury to definitive care. And uh, when you saw, we all saw the tragedy in Humboldt, it bothered me immensely that in a little province like Saskatchewan, they had two helicopters at the scene of a bus crash. I began to worry if Quebec had a school bus crash at Hemingford or uh, somewhere rural Quebec, could we do the same thing? Could we? And I, I realized right away that we couldn't. And we, that's something that we need to, that we, for the entire province of Quebec, we have to uh, have that facility. Exactly. And I, I have to commend the Minister of Health that, uh, for his efforts in making this happen. And he accepted the... Uh, He bought into it, and he uh, there are financial things that he has to overcome. But uh, you have to give him credit for making this uh, first step and getting it on the way. Mm -hmm, because uh, Ontario has such a service. And every province in mm -hmm. Canada except Quebec, mm -hmm. every major city in North America except Montreal, has a helicopter project pro program. So it's important for trauma, very important. But it's also important for obstetrics. Oh, yeah. for cardiac mm -hmm. disease, for stroke. The, perhaps the biggest advantage that has been proven in Saskatchewan is they have a stroke center in Regina and Saskatoon. And so when a, somebody has a stroke in a periphery, they're immediately transferred to a stroke center, and they have the very best care, and it's reduced the death rate, and it's reduced the morbidity, the paralysis after a stroke. So the, it's, a, it's a vital part of our health care network getting patients to the right hospital at the right time. 
Absolutely. And, you know, we're talking about the government making improvement, but there still must be room, you know, for improvement in our health system. So what are the priority areas of investment, in your opinion? Well, that's a good question. And, and I have had, talked, we've talked to, with the health minister at times about this. But for me now, there are so many changes that, uh, occurring in healthcare delivery, high tech, uh, aging population, Uh, improvement in trauma care, improvement in cancer care. So I think we have to look at a whole new way of financing health care in Quebec so that the, the uh, financial support or the money follows the complexity of care of the patient. So if you have an advanced uh, cancer, you're better off being treated in one of the university centers where they're doing research and developing new drugs, developing all the... And so I think... Uh, in the past, our budgets have been historical and uh, block budgets, and this needs to change immediately. And then uh, regionalization of care, which is the trauma model, which I think is uh, has a ripple effect on the whole hospital. It makes the whole hospital better. The ICU is better. The emergency room is better. The pre-hospital transport is better. So this is a model that we have to apply across the province to every disease, But that will mean changes in, in education of our medical students and how we, uh, because that'll change the distribution of uh, patients in our level one centers. So I, I think there's, it's an enormous opportunity. And uh, the, the minister is also aware of that and is working on a, a, a an approach along those lines. Mm -hmm. And, you know, with all the changes uh, we are facing in our healthcare system, what advice would you give to future doctors? It's, uh, I, I, I wish I were just starting. There are so many golden opportunities. Uh, I think uh, uh, being a physician and particularly being a surgeon is uh, perhaps the most exciting uh, uh, career opportunity there is. I wouldn't uh, change anything for in terms of, uh, of my career. It's been a, an amazing journey that... Uh, And I've had lots of luck in meeting Dr. Kinnear, Dr. Robertson. All these people have been mentors and, and made my life uh, uh, what it is. But I would strongly encourage any young person that it's the, it's the ultimate career. And right now, is there a specific field, like a new field in medicine? You'd say, if I'd be starting my, my, you know, my, my studies, medical studies, that's, that's where I'd go. Well, yeah, I think the most, one of the most exciting things now is artificial intelligence. Mm -hmm. And it's going to have an enormous impact on medicine and the information technology. I mean, my, I'm way behind in that. I have to have my grandchildren help me with the computers <laughs> so it doesn't freeze and so on. But uh, I, I think the combination of artificial intelligence and uh, computer information technology is going to make us even better uh, physicians. The other thing it's going to do is allow us to keep much better records to determine our results and to have data. And for me, the thing that changed the trauma scene in Quebec was that we had the data to prove that we weren't doing as well. And that's, that's where I think the future of uh, artificial intelligence and information technology lies. So you feel like with your experience at, at some point, you know, with uh, having to take certain decisions on, let's say, a disease or accident, having more information about it, more data would have been very helpful. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. There's no question in my mind that that's, uh, and that's going to be so important in the future. 
medical data, financial data. It'll uh, allow us to uh, maximize the value in our healthcare system for the dollars we spend, which is critical because healthcare costs are rising at a, an exponential rate. It's it's going to be very important. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Dr. Mulder. Such a great career, very inspiring for all of us. Uh, you're very welcome. It was a pleasure interviewing you, and I'm sure a lot of people learned uh, many things about you. So thank you all for listening to the Code Life podcast. For more information, I invite you to visit our website, codelife.ca. Until next time. <laughs>